obsessed with all things ovine, there is seriously something about sheep and always something new to learn about keeping, breeding and farming them. Welcome to the Sheep Show podcast. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud and your host. The Sheep Show podcast exists to help you no matter where you are in the world, what sheep you breed, what size your flock is. This podcast will help your sheep knowledge and your shepherding confidence grow. And it's a two-way street. I love to hear from you and find out how your sheep journey is going. Contact me via Instagram at Halston Valley Farm or via email jill at halstonvalleyfarm.com.au. Come along on this episode as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. There's Sheep Bestie, it's Jill here. This episode is actually also available on the Holston Valley Farm YouTube channel. So if you're interested in seeing some of the things that I'm referring to in this particular episode, you can see this episode on the Holston Valley Farm YouTube channel. We've got over 40 videos there for you now and have a look. Some on sheep, some on other All farming the things, things and the aim of the channel farm, is to help you farming, be more confident or farming so, so head on over there give us a like keep listening here but YouTube have a channel. look at the episode um, on the uh, youtube channel so you can see you some of these images that i am sharing on this particular episode as well especially with your sheep on your farm and how you can expand on that and create more value, I suppose, and provide more value in the community, apart from what you're potentially doing in your farm, and particularly for those of you joining me on the Sheep Show podcast, in your sheep enterprise, and your sheep farm. So, and this is based on the journey that Gary and I have been on, uh, all the things we've tried, all the things that haven't worked, and what has worked. Yeah, and I'm going to also show you a couple of other case studies along the way as well. So uh, for those of you who don't know, and I'm sure a lot of you do anyway, but apart from farming uh, in the South Gippsland in Victoria and Australia, Gary and I do other stuff. So if you're um, joining us on the YouTube channel, you'll see some images of what stuff we do. Here's Gary, all scrubbed up in a hospital. He sells medical devices, so that's what he does generally on Monday to Friday. Uh, and I am a HR professional. I do a lot of corporate training. I do a lot of writing as well. So I write a sheep magazine and um, I've written a couple of books, career-related books, so HR-related books. So um, we do uh, we do that um, in our sort of non-farming time. Uh, I think we do, we do those sort of jobs so that we can get a break from the, the uh, intense labor that farming can actually be. And again, in case you're not aware of our farm, we're about two hours from Melbourne, so southeastern Australia, uh, quite a, a high rainfall area of Australia. So we're very, very lucky. We get over a thousand mils of rain on a bad year. And uh, and sometimes rain, too much rain is the problem that we experience. And we've got a farm based on some key principles around community, aka agri-venturing. Why not? sustainability again let's look at sustainable agri ventures 
And of course, we've got a ton of sheep thrown in there for good measure. And we very much focus on animal welfare. And our, one of our key focuses is on community. So bringing people back to the farming lifestyle, educating, supporting, helping, training. We went through a, a, a an eight-year process, Gary and I, where we had a little urban fringe farm. So this was about 10 years ago, an urban fringe farm. And we spent that time educating. So it's 10 years. And I'm basically, my role is to fast, fast track that for you. So you don't have to spend the 10 years and then when you get to farming, start to really learn. So learning from all the things that um, we've done and potentially all the mistakes we've made, not just then, but still making. So agri-venturing is, is a little term I've coined. And basically it is venturing into new things on your farm, as well as traditional farming practices. You know, for a lot of us, that's raising livestock, either for fiber, food, milk, whatever it might be, or something of the like, berries, crops, veggies, whatever it might be. So in this little session, we're going to have a bit of a look at what exactly is it? What could you do on your farm? How would you do it? And then what have other, other people have done? And then when can you get started and how can you get started? So here's a little uh, image of some of the first agri-ventures we actually did. And we still do these here. And again, if you're if you're watching, if you're not, if you're listening to the podcast, please head over to the YouTube channel and you see some of the images of this particular conversation that we're having as well. But I'll just describe it if you're driving or otherwise occupied doing the dishes or out on the farm. This is an image of us with some uh, people who've never farmed before uh, from the city who uh, are came down to learn and, and get some hands-on exposure and just get a weekend in the country and, and who were, were doing some hoof trimming in this particular um, very old image of probably our first or second year on the farm when we had our really old sheep yards. So ag tourism, as a lot of you probably are aware, is where people come to the country for tourism reasons, recreation where they come for re relaxation and where they come for, I suppose, a, a rejuvenation, if you like, as well. So obviously, the country life is quite a romantic view for a lot of people. We probably know living on farms, it's not always that romantic. In fact, it can be downright unromantic a lot of the time. I think Gary did um, did, did refuse to pay me any romantic advances after seeing me covered in um uterine fluid one time when he came home and found me anyway so it can be really unromantic but for a lot of people it's something that they don't see every day you know just just animals in a paddock you know animals nursing animals being born animals growing everything that happens on a farm if you like even fruit of a tree is something that a lot of people just we, we've had visitors come down and the kids have never actually seen fruit in a tree before they've never picked an apple from a tree before so it's this real sort of draw card this magnetism that the country actually has as an appeal right tourism basically is all of that yeah all of that now push the boundaries today with our agri-venturing but agri-tourism is basically where people come so Really, some of the, the ways to define agritourism and, and then moving into agri-venturing is that it's, it's experiential. So people come for an experience. It's generally related to agriculture. 
It has some form of entertainment, recreation, or educational pursuit. So that's where people come to do these things. It's quite immersive. So people get involved or they, they, you know, it's a bit like, you know, going to a zoo, but like the whole other level, definitely another level from an animal welfare point of view, particularly when we see animals in their natural or as natural as a livestock would be, natural habitat habitat as a livestock would actually be in. But out in the open, not in sheds, not in cages, Yeah. It's very immersive, and particularly the, the, our philosophy is we want people to really be involved and be immersed in in everything. They like if it's raining, we still do it in rain. If it's hot, we still do it in the hot. You know, so it's not that we mollycoddle. It's not that it's sort of sanitized. It's raw. It's real. It's it's it brings you alive. Yeah, it's a really it's very much about nature. Ideally, agritourism should be leave no trace. So people come and go and you would never even know that they were there. There's no trace at all of the fact that there has been a tourism activity or an agri-venture activity. And I think this is really quite important when we're starting to think, when you're starting to think about what could you do, what else could you do on your farm? Can you be environmentally conscious? Can you be sustainable? Can you have leave no trace? And of course, as I mentioned, coming to an an agri-tourism to see, particularly from an animal point of view, animal lovers, it's it's it is much better for animal welfare than caged animals. So it's got those other elements as well. We have a lot of people who don't eat meat. Quite a lot of people who don't eat meat, for example, come to the farm and appreciate and respect what we do and how we do it here. And and again, I think the philosophy and the value needs to be really strongly behind when we're doing agri venturing and agri tourism, and that is often enough for people that they really believe in it fits in with their values because the farmer or the person running this venture has that as their value set as well. Different types, okay? So when you look at agritourism and you Google it, um, venturing, as I mentioned, is kind of my little coin and my little spit on it because it sort of takes it to the next level. But agritourism is defined as five different things. Even direct-to-consumer sales, is agritourism. And I'm going to show you some examples of that. Agricultural education. So where people come, in fact, you know, I have a, I just got a phone call today from the local TAFE who wants to come with their class, their Cert 3 class to our farm. And and I mean, that's just amazing for me and for our farm to have that recognition and to have the local TAFE want to actually visit us. So perfect. Um, Hospitality, you know, I'm going to show you a case study today of exactly what that could look like from an agri-venture, agri-tourism point of view. Recreation. So this could be anything from hiking, walking, fishing, horse riding, those sorts of things. So where they're doing country pursuits, if you like. And of course, entertainment, you know. One of the things we've sort of happened on on our agri-ventures pursuit is a a, a really unique entertainment offering that I'll, I'll share with you as we move through. So five different types over in a large bucket, I suppose. And then when you look at what these could look like, well, here are just some ideas. Yeah. So we've got here, and again, tune into the YouTube if you can. So horse riding, we've got glamping tents, we've got um, berry picking or grape picking. We've got tractor tours and we've got flower picking, for example. These are just some ideas potentially that it could look at. Hunting, fishing, shooting, those sorts of things, wildlife watching, 
particularly at night, you know, so here's a, a lovely, beautiful picture of a of an owl. You don't have to go very far. I was out filling a water trough the other night at 10 o'clock. It was an owl just waiting for me and a beautiful, and they stay a long time. So they're really quite intriguing creatures to sort of catch a glimpse of an owl and, and get up close with an owl. Uh, bird watching, of course, koala watching and petting animals. And of course, this could be all sorts of animals. And then something like a hay maze, I think it's the coolest idea, you know, and and I know this is corn mazes, hay mazes are really popular in the US. And I think in a small area of land, this is something we can do really, really quite quickly and really quite cheaply. And of course, you can really go for it with different festivals like Halloween, for example, or for um, maybe Labor Day, or Australia Day or St. Patrick's Day, or whatever it might be, you can really offer this extra element uh in in having a maze of some sort and what fun you know for kids to to run around in and have uh have a bit of getting lost safely around the place so there's just some ideas of agri-venturing agri-tourism uh if you like and really it's, it's really about something for everyone you know people are going to love animals people are going to love the fresh fruit and vegetables people are going to love the fruit picking for example people are going to like the serenity of the outdoors, you know, really getting back to nature, fresh air, no noise, kind of, you know, no pollution. Okay, there's going to be some animal manure. You got to be prepared for that. You know, there might be some, you know, stinky things from time to time. Large, no pollution. And of course, the fact that, you know, we've got sets on our farm that we can share with people. There's a lovely image here of someone who's turned silos into a little B&B. You know, so there may be assets on your farm that you think are perhaps even uh, knock it down, tear it down kind of thing, or maybe an old barn, for example. And again, one of the case studies is doing exactly that, which is, you know, it's just so good. I mean, obviously, these things, some of these things are more, uh, more of an investment than others. But again, you got to weigh those things up with what, where you're at and choose the right thing, which is getting me to my next point. What we've tried on our farm. Okay. So, you name it, we've tried it. We thought um, roadside stall. We were growing a lot of fruit and veggies at the time, and it was something we had done on our urban French farm. And we thought, okay, it's great little sort of gateway, safe, easy entry to hey, stop and come in and visit. So we had a little wagon commissioned. There's a beautiful picture of it if you're looking at the YouTube there in the middle. Little wagon commissioned, and we and I still use that to sell honey and eggs, are primarily the things that I put on there as well. But a little bit of information as well on sheep or information on meat as well on there. But in 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 a while ago, we would produce a lot of. I still have a lot of fruit that grows. So if there's fruit available, it goes on the um, on the, in the little wagon on the roadside stall. Now I'll tell you about the pros and cons of this um, as we move through. We do direct sales. So uh, eggs and meat, beef and lamb. We have a roadside sign. And of course, then we have the delivery of the meat as well that we do to consumers as well. And the way we do it is all Prime Safe approved and it's all been checked and, um, uh, and all above board. So that's just some of the things that we've tried. We've also got out and about in the community. So here's a great picture of one of our little pet lambs who went along to the local bank for the day for a little coat and stayed there with one of the local dogs. 
I know. And slept, basically slept in the bank all day until she got her feed. And attracted visitors. And they were generating funds, raising funds for drought relief. So the whole bank was all sort of decked out to try and generate funds. And we had some little animals in there. Went in one day and they said, oh, can you bring this animal back to do the drought relief? I went in with the animal to to, to embarrass one of the girls slash give her a little birthday surprise. And um, that followed up with, first of all, a news story in the local paper about this little lamb and then this feature. This is actually a picture from the paper as well. So, I mean, little things like that, just getting out and about in your local community. Of course, you know, advertising, choosing a market to advertise in. And we've got a couple of local markets we advertise in. We go a lot to shows, particularly local shows, where we showcase our sheep and people learn about our sheep. And um, we do a lot of events. We do a lot of farming events, a lot of farming exhibits. And that, again, here's a that's a great social thing for a lot of us. A lot of us love it. Uh, it's a lot of effort, a lot of work, and a bit tiring, but it's good fun, and we get to hang out with all our mates and meet lots of new ones as well. So these are just some things. In fact, here's the full list of all the things we've tried. Believe it or not, we have tried uh, and still do not all of these, but these are all the things we've tried, and I'll come back to tell you which works, which works, and, and which hasn't worked. Um, roadside stall, fruit picking, camping, hunting trips farm visits, volunteer farming or educational opportunities, school groups, tree planting, on-farm meat sales, farm-based birthday parties, hikes and walks, bird life and uh, wildlife watching, fishing, uh, client visits from people with a disability or local schools and cabins. Yeah. So these are the things that we have tried, believe it or not. Roadside stall was really good. For the locals. They loved it. Yeah, but the locals can only eat so much of our produce. Yeah, and some of them grow their own produce. So it initially went really, really well. And when things, you know, perhaps things are tight, they come here to get their the local produce. I still have one of the, the person who buys most of it is like my next door neighbor at the moment. But we don't live on a main road. We live down a dirt road, the unsealed road. We do have a lot of tourists down here, but ultimately it's not a great site for a roadside stall. So for us to produce the quantity of food that we were producing and the investment, the time investment, particularly in the veggies, it just wasn't paying off. Yeah, it was nice. It was a hobby, but we had way more things that we needed to do than really invest 10 hours a week or whatever it might be, or even five hours a week in, in something like that where some of it was going to waste. So very minor now with the roadside stall, basically eggs and honey and a little bit of brochures about meat, but that's about it. So we've sort of cut back on the roadside stall, but it's still there because it looks really cute. Yeah. And again, it's a good little gateway to, hey, come on in. Hey, we're open. That sort of thing. We also offered farm visits and we tried this various different ways. Just farm experiences come for free. Farm experiences come for free and buy some meat. Farm experiences come for free and tell us what you think it's worth and give us whatever you think it's worth. And then we realized it was getting really, really popular, but much else done. So, okay, farm experiences, and this is the cost. Now, we priced ourselves at a cost where we would hire someone to do these farm visits because we were getting quite a lot of them at the time. And we can't do them all. And it's very intimate. It's very immersive. It's very experiential. So it's one-on-one. But the problem is we kind of priced ourselves out of the market, not out of the birthday party market. That's brilliant. 
We are the local go-to have your birthday party here. Whether you're three or 53, we seem to get a lot of birthday parties. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, we love it. We can sell meat and food and so on. Gary's got his food handler certificate so we can cook food and serve it to, to our visitors and all above board. So that's been working really well. This Easter, we're coming up to Easter now, and I'm trialing a whole new uh, farm visit. And this is the kind of, this is what I mean by agri-venturing. I'm just venturing in to different angles. And I'm going to find something that really works for us. Birthday parties work really, really well. Yeah. Large groups of um, people with disability who have funding work really, really well. Um and this extra uh, Easter sort of program is, and I'll tell you afterwards how it goes because it hasn't happened yet, is where we open every day. 10 to 4, we are open, no bookings, just come on in. Not as intimate, not as one-on-one, -on -one, but the gates are open. And we will have Easter egg hunts, we'll have sheep demos, we'll have, uh, you know, walk your sheep activities, you know, we'll have a few different activities for kids to come along and, and other people as well who's interested in seeing the farm and that will be a entry fee twenty dollars to enter rather than a couple of hundred dollars which is what we were charging for the farm visits when people came and they had like a half day program or a full day program and it was very one-on-one -on -one and very immersive so we've got one angle here that works farm-based business the birthday parties and then i'm going to try this other extra open for the school holidays type visit um activity the other thing I'll tell you later, which has worked really, really well, which is one of these things again, yeah, which has worked really well for us as too. And then when I say worked well, I'm talking about working commercially on a commercial scale. What is worth it for us in terms of our time? What's generating revenue from our farm? And what has been able, we've been able to do it with the least additional cost, marketing, sales, promotion, fancy equipment, you know, new machinery or vehicles, new sheds, those sorts of things. So just trying to make do with what we've got, but still push our revenue so that our farm is more sustainable. Remember that sustainable word? Very important. But farms aren't sustainable at all. Yeah. And this is something that we are constantly trying to identify. What can we do to make our farm sustainable? YouTube channel, sheep podcast. They're all parts. They're all part of the agri-venturing piece. Yeah. Just in case you didn't know, I've got an ebook coming out soon. You know, so all these different things are all part of this little agri-venturing element that we've got going on, which we always knew we would have on our farm. And it definitely, for us anyway, it uses some of the skills that we've we've got. So let's talk about that then. How do you actually work out what venture is right for you? Well, you've got to think about your farm. What assets do you have on your farm already that you can use or repurpose or utilize? What skills, interests, and passions do you have? We know the skills that Gary and I have, and, and they are communication, education, sales, and marketing, and we have been farming for a while too. Not, as, not decades, even though I grew up in a farming community. Gary lived in a rural community for quite a while. But, you know, we're we're not you know, fourth generation. Well, actually, I am technically probably a fourth or fifth generation farmer. Done other things, yeah? I left the farm. We didn't live on a farm when I was young. It was a little bit different. 
So we've got a breadth, and a lot of you will have a breadth of skills and interests and passions. So again, how can you package them up and venture into something with your unique skills, passions, and, and, um, and interests? What about the risks and regulatory environments? Everyone's is going to be different, yeah? So, for example, when we did the, the roadside stall, I contacted the council, found out what the regulations were. As long as I don't cut up any fruit, it's fine, yeah? As long as we don't sort of open any packaging that we might have, like the meat packaging that comes from the butcher, it's fine, yeah? So you just look into what you're doing and the regulations and just explore the risks that you're actually presenting as well. Where we've got insurance, for example, on our farm. So we're managing the risks. We're not ignoring them. We're trying to manage them. We're trying to get the best out of what we've got. And we really need to think about trial and error, trying something new. It doesn't work. That's okay. You're venturing into these things. So you're testing it, seeing if it works, tweaking it. Yeah. You think of anything like, I don't know, the iPhone or perhaps even, you know, this podcast facility that we're using or YouTube. It wasn't something that someone just worked out and just worked. Try these things. We've got to work hard at these things. And it's okay to fail. Let's just fail fast. Yeah. Just fail fast. Because you don't have to have a business or commercial mindset. And that means that if something's not working, you need to change it. Yeah. If something is not getting you the results that you wanted to get, and you're not getting the outcome that you're attending to get, then you've got to think about tweaking it and changing it and having that commercial mindset all the time. So test, trial, tweak. Test, trial, tweak. Then think about using all the different ways that you can get your message out. Social media, traditional media, word of mouth, neighbors, contacts, connections, using, um, now when I say traditional media, you of course use advertisements, but what about sending something to your local newspaper? Yeah. How many of you have your local journalists on speed dial? That's what you need. You need to have them at the ready to get your message out there. Yeah. It's just one avenue. Not everyone's going to see it, but it's an avenue nevertheless. And let's break the mold. Let's be creative. Let's disrupt. Let's try something different. And that may mean pushing some of the regulations just a little bit. That's okay too. We've done that. And it's worked very much in our favor, but we've challenged people. I definitely have challenged a lot of people in my local sheep community and do I get pushback and resistance and do I get negative comments sure but that's what disruptors do yeah so that's how to do it assets on your farm what have you got and I'm going to talk to you about some case studies to help you understand what I mean by assets your assets skills passions interests what are the risks what's the regulatory environment can you disrupt that can you push it a little bit and can you test trial and tweak and don't forget to get the word out there. Here's a case study. Blue Tree Honey Farm. This is actually a customer of mine, believe it or not. So they have some Wilshire Horn sheep. Beautiful couple, Rob and Sharon, and their family. Not too far from us. And when they bought their farm, there was a beautiful old shed on their farm. So they turned it into a cafe. And they produce honey. That's what they do on their farm. They have some other livestock. But it's a small holding with a really good shed, car park area, and in a really good location, not too far from a town. They've been able to get some great signage. They've been able to get some great promotion. They do a lot of, they do a lot of other things. They provide beekeeping supplies and beekeeping equipment. They have a website, for example. They sell honey. They attend lots of farmer's markets. And of course, they promote their farm, the farmer's market. So again, you can see, if we look through that little list, 
They looked at the assets on their farm. They've looked at the skills and interests and passions. They're managing the risks. People don't get stung. They looked at the regulatory requirements. They've got a commercial kitchen, for example, because they need that for the bees. They've tweaked it, trialed it. They use social media and traditional media, and they're doing it on foot as well. They're actually going to, to events. They're going to expos. They're going to local shows, and they are disrupting. They have honey. They have beekeeping supplies, and they have a cafe, and they're using the assets on the farm. Perfect in my mind. It's a perfect agri-venturing case study. Here's another one. This is, again, somewhere quite local to me, uh, a farm called I Love Farms. So just sorry, just to confirm, that was Blue Tree Honey Farm. Uh, if you look Google Blue Tree Honey Farm or Fisher's Beekeeping Supplies at Gmail, I'll pop them in the show notes anyway, but that's Blue Tree Honey Farm. Next case study is I Love Farms in Merbu North slash Delburn. So they're right on the border between Merbu North and Delburn. Again, 10 minutes from me. And what they did was they used the biggest asset on their farm, which is there on a main road, a very busy main road that's taking everyone from sort of our side of sort of the highway, the freeway, to the main um, industrial commercial center of, of Gippsland, yeah, which is Turalgan, Latrobe Valley. So it's a very, very busy highway um, that uh, you get a lot of, a lot of through traffic. And they have a beautiful old shed, and they've turned that into a farm store. Not humanly mapped, so they've been very creative with technology. They have cameras. They have a little, little square. You go in there, you weigh your own produce, you put in what you've bought, and you can buy milk and eggs and veggies and potatoes and honey and anything that might be seasonal, flowers sometimes as well. Cream, you know, so they're they've got fridges in there, it's fully electrified, you know, it's all again all above board. Um, brilliant little extra business, but the main asset they're using is their location, where they're physically positioned on that route on the way to a really big commercial center. Yeah. Obviously, they've got skills, they're farmers. This is a farming family here and they don't want to stand in a shop all day so what do they do well they invest in the technology and they set it up so that they can basically free themselves up to farm because that's their core business yeah so using their skills and interests and passions using their produce using the community and using their location perfect case study again do you think about all those things and of course they've managed the risks the regulations they've got a very commercial mindset and I can guarantee you I've visited there over the last five to eight years and they're tweaking and testing and trying new things all the time. They didn't have the fresh produce when I went there first in terms of, you know, milk and butter and things like that. And definitely creative and disruptive in my mind. And a really cute spot. And they've got a lovely car park out the front. So even though it's busy, you can get off the highway safely, go and do your shopping. See that. And just get back on the road again. And uh, I'm really, really brilliant. <clears throat> Absolutely brilliant. Love it. Next case study is ours. <laughs> so this is something that we were pursuing. How could we use some of the more inaccessible, inhospitable, but amazing features on our farm? We 
we have some pretty grummy old sheds. Yeah, we take an awful lot of investment to turn into a little cafe like Blue Tree Honey Farm. <clears throat> but we do have some incredible out- outlooks and aspects on our farm. Our farm is quite a rectangular shape. It's basically going from a ridge right down to a river, a river flat and a river valley. And we've got every type of topography you would think of on our farm. So why not use it? And that's what we've done. We now have three ovens. Um, if you're looking at the uh, little uh, YouTube video, you see this little spot here. That's one. A <laughs> uh, kilometre and a half hike up to there, uh, up a very steep slope. A huge elevation with the view, as you can see, this little dog I was looking at on the view is uninterrupted, completely uninterrupted. You can only see hills and valleys and trees and farmland. It is just absolutely take your breath away view. And we've also got some other other areas on our land which are more private, secluded, woody. And we have two other cabins in those areas as well. And they've got pretty nice views, pretty nice aspect, very private, very tucked away um, and really serene. So a lot of serenity. And this is something we looked at doing a variety of different ways. We looked at doing it where we would build a cabin, where we would perhaps do the glamping tent, where we would have our property perhaps rezoned as caravan park. We spent a lot of time working with the council trying to sort of look at this and how it would work. And we actually went with a cabin on wheels. So it was wheeled in, passes all the council have come and have a look, have had a look and uh, all above board, meeting the regulatory requirements, uh, leave no trace. So people bring rubbish, take rubbish. Uh, People um, use the wood from the local area rather than bringing in wood. People uh, hike and walk rather than drive. So very much leave no trace. They can bring their dogs as long as they, dogs, and most of the dogs are very, very respectful that we actually have. We're doing this all through uh, a partnership with Unyoked, unyoked.co. They have over 70 of these cabins all around Australia, New Zealand, and the UK, and they're doing it really, really well. So they own the physical cabin. We own the land the cabin is on. And then between the two of us, we have an arrangement around what my responsibility as a landowner and managing the guests and what is their responsibility and yeah it's great it's really really good it's probably been uh way better than we ever thought very little investment up front which is great but obviously it's still a business so I wouldn't say it's got no work attached to it or no planning but once you have a system once you systematize it and they really help you with that it's just been fabulous. Occupancy is worth it. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. So this is just a, a, an adventure. I've seen other really cool things like igloos. And like one of them, one that I think is so cool, is called Sleep with the Sheep. Do you like that, Sheep Show podcasters? Sleep with the Sheep. And that is where you stay in an igloo, like literally a little glass dome, and the sheep all surrounding you. Do not know if it would work with my horn sheep? Shedding sheep that are rubbing up against you all night. Obviously, there's a little bit of kind of plastic between you and the sheep. But, I mean, how cool is that? You know, there's, sheep are really cool to just kind of, you know, um, 
sheep spot and sheep watch and just sit there and watch your watch your sheep. Uh, we we manage a little bit of land about an hour away, and the lady who owns that land says, oh, "I just want them to look at. I just love looking at them. I mean, you can come and manage the land. Just I want to look at them. It works for us. You can look at a sheep all you want. You get free views. We get free land. I love it. Best little venture ever, and that works for her." So these cabins really have been a great asset to our farm and uh, going from strength to strength. Now, again, planning systems, good people, they're going to, you know, good people around you, good people in your unyoked and good good local team for you. Like for, for Gary and I, we have full-time jobs, so we need a good lo- local reliable team that are skilled, and we do have that, and that's just been amazing for us with um, Chris and Amanda who help us out every day, which is great. So beautiful uh, option. And again, we've used the assets. We've used our interest and passion. So community, yeah, and welfare, education, it's got it all here for us and uh, very sustainable, very much leave no trace. And, um, yeah, it's just been really good. It's been good. So a little couple of websites here, including Fisher's Beekeeping, but I'll also want you to think about, okay, what assets do you have on your farm? Yeah. What are you interested in? What skills do you have? What passions do you have? And even these these three things that these three examples that I've shared with you, Blue Tree Honey Farm, I Love Farms in Merbury North and our own case study. The investment here, there's all there's investment in a lot of this. Like commercial kitchen takes time. Technical infrastructure to, to, to run that um shop front takes time and takes money you know the, the cabins they take time they take a little bit of money. you got to think about that you were in a business mindset you got to speculate to accumulate yeah so how much can you invest to get the return on investment you know i've spoken to someone recently wanting to set up a meat business you know all they need is a freezer yeah it's going to cost you six hundred dollars how much are you going to generate in return that's going to be two lambs, for example. You know, yeah, it's a business expense, though. So think of it. If you're thinking like a business, it's a no-brainer. You just need a freezer, get a freezer, yeah? If you need a cool room, get a cool room. As long as you do it with a business mindset, you are making the right decision. So you're looking at the big picture and then thinking, okay, well, what is this going to mean for the next 10 years? What is the generation of revenue based on the cost of that initial investment? Is that thing holding me back? Can I get a loan for that? Yeah. Can I perhaps go to the bank with a lamb and ask them for a loan potentially? You know, what can I actually do to get me closer to where I want to be and get me in a position where I too can agri-venture? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sheep Show podcast. Please take a moment to share this episode via your podcast app, email, or social media channels. Each share helps us reach listeners just like you who can benefit from our sheep-focused content. Let me know how your sheep journey is going. Contact me via Instagram at Halston Valley Farm or via email jill at halstonvalleyfarm.com.au. Until next time, sheep well.